Well, welcome back to St. Martin's in the Fields podcast. I am lucky to be in here with Caitlin and a special guest. And so, special guest, who are you? This is Donna Burroughs, and I have been a member at St. Martin's for 10 to 12 years now, and happy to be here today. This is this is an interesting thing. How do you feel in a, this strange room? <laughs> it's It's different. It's very different. <laughs> very um, cozy. Yeah. Well, Donna, what is it that you do? Okay, so my background is that I've been a clinical social worker for 30-plus years, recently retired. Um, but the bulk of my work has been in mental health care and in um, hospice and loss and grief situations. Um, and I've learned a lot from working with people that are in this transition point in their life, both from the patients and from the family members um, that accompany them along that path. Last week, you always started a conversation about how to be with somebody when they were dying, how to sit with somebody in hospice care, how to, we talked about respecting the rooms, the inner room and the outer room that sometimes form in people's houses and, and how to, how to navigate the dying process because there is a process to it. And, and, and then, well, after you navigate the dying process, there is, I believe, a grieving process. And I think it's important for, for Christians, particularly for all people in community to have an idea of, of, of what it means to sit with somebody in their grief and how, how do we sit with somebody who is going through the grieving process. Great. So again, I think that that you make a wonderful point, Mitch, about sitting with because grief is unique and variable and people will express it and experience it in many, many ways. But I think one of the things that is often a common denominator is that they don't want to be alone. And yet those of us that want to help folks like that can often feel very intimidated by being around people that are raw in grief and feeling strong emotions. And so I think um, learning to be with people as they journey through the grief, and we talk a lot about you don't go around it, you don't go over it, you can try to avoid it, but you really need to go through the process of grief if you want to heal at the end of it. Um, but they need a lot of support, and they, they enjoy having people with them where they can just be themselves and express what they want and talk about their loved ones. One of the things I hear often is nobody ever says this person's name anymore. And, and they are thinking about them all the time. They want someone to talk to about who this person was that they lost, what they meant to them. Um, so I think, you know, being willing to be with people who are sad and not feel like you have to fix it because we can't fix anybody's grief. Um, it's a it's a journey, and it takes a long time. I think we used to have this maybe cultural understanding that if we get through the first year, we're good to go. We'll go back out in the world and live our lives. And I think more current understanding is that it's a lifelong process. You lose somebody that's really important to you, your life is forever altered. That doesn't mean it's forever awful. It's just going to be different, and it'll be a process that you'll work on for the rest of your life. I remember when I was in, in New Orleans, I did a, a funeral that was for a friend of mine. Uh, his name was Wilkins. And um, uh, Wilkins took his own life on Halloween night. And 
I remember the conversation with his wife afterwards and, and with the family and friends around. And, and we talked about it sort of as a window um, that once that window is shattered, it never goes back together the same again. It, there's still all the pieces of it, but it, it's broken. And that right. brokenness doesn't, it's physically altered. It is. We are definitely physically, emotionally, intellectually changed after we lose somebody that we love. And part of the process of healing through grief is finding a way. We talk about this in support groups that um, you have to find a way to incorporate the loss into your life and then move forward. And I really like that concept better than the getting over, getting around, because people often will hit a place where they're they're getting somewhat better. Life feels a little bit less painful, but they feel like if they keep moving down that path, they're leaving their loved one behind. So the idea is you find out what is the meaning of the person I loved and lost, and how do I hold on to that and move forward in life at the same time? And people do that in a variety of ways. Sometimes they decide to volunteer somewhere that may, had meaning for them and their the person that they lost or just something that they think that person would be very proud of them for doing. Um, but they, we need to find a way, I think, in order to do it effectively to continue the relationship. But it's different. Like you say, the glass doesn't go back together. It's not the same. You can't sit down and have a conversation, but you can still be in relationship with that person. You can still benefit from the lessons that they taught you or the things that you have shared together. And you said something about sitting with and, and going in and, and not being able to go around it, not being able to go through it. I think there's a cultural thing where we want people emotionally and and um, maybe for our comfort, but for their comfort, we just want people to be happy. And yeah. so we'll say silly jokes or we'll bring, you know, bring a plate of food and say, well, I brought a plate of food. And, and we forget that. Well, you're there walking through something different and there is, they might be momentarily happy, right. but as soon as you leave that house, as soon as you walk back out that door, right. they're back to their loneliness. That's true. That's true. And I think um, just being willing to be with them in their grief, you know, people often say, well, I don't know what to say and I don't want to say the wrong thing because I might make them cry or I might make them sad. And I think the best answer to that is, they are sad and they are crying, whether they're doing it in front of you or not. So you're not going to hurt them by saying, do you think about your husband very often? You know, is there anything going on right now that I can help you with? Um, just be willing to listen to the story of who this person was in their life. They love to tell that story over and over. They might want to tell the death story over and over and over. People actually are processing and incorporating the reality of this loss by telling the story and understanding what happened, who was there, you know, what did I say and, you know, what did other people say and how do I feel about it? It's storytelling that gets them there, but they need an audience for that to do it effectively. Um, and it's hard to hear that. So we might get sad listening. <laughs> and, and I think that's another thing we have to consider. It's okay to get sad with someone and have tears with them. You're not breaking them. You're not hurting them. You're just saying, wow, I can tell this is really important to you. And it really affects me to hear you say that. A lot of times when I experience somebody in grief who tells me a story and we end up both crying, a lot of times what I end up saying to them is thank you for sharing. 
Absolutely. Thank you for, for putting this out there. Right, because who of us could go through that without it connecting to something that we've experienced too? I mean, we've you don't get very far in life without having some kind of loss. And the older we get, the more experience we have with loss. And so we can connect around that. Again, I think one of the things I caution people about is not to then prescribe for others how they need to do it. Like, it's fine to say, well, for me, this was really helpful. That may not be helpful for the person that you're talking to. It might be just the thing they want to hear. But everybody does it differently. And so, you know, this, well, if you just go and do X, Y, and Z, you're going to feel better. Just put on a happy face and let's go to this place and we'll forget about it for a while and you'll be fine. That might be what they want. Maybe they want an escape, but they might also say, no, that is not, that won't be for me. I need to do something different than that. And that's okay. I, uh, so I was in grief group with you last night and came and did the little theological piece. And I also found myself like getting teary and choked up listening to everybody sure. and, and even just sharing the faith aspect of, of Greece and, and what the Bible and theology teach us about what it is to be a Christian grieving. Um, and one of the things that we talked about last night was that comfort we like to think of as like a soft, cozy thing, but that the root of the word is calm. So with fort, with strength or with, with strong walls. And so that comfort is not, you know, it doesn't have to be gentle, but it can be that sharing with and that in not being afraid to face the, the depth of the hard thing together. Right. Um, and one of the things that, you know, when you're talking about grief and, and you Google, like, where is grief in the Bible? Because you're trying to find verses or something. Um, the book of Job always comes up as an example. And the it, incredible amount of loss that Job suffered. He lost every single person in his family in the story. Um, and that everybody pays attention to the middle part where all of the friends are saying all of these unhelpful things. And then Job is really angry and... There's lots of dialogue back and forth, and it's kind of a roadmap of, like, what not to say. Um, <laughs> but the the piece that that has always stood out to me, and it stood out to me because I once had a friend grieving who found this verse and, and shared with me um, that when Job's friends arrive, they come from all over to come be with him, and then they just sit with him for seven days and seven nights, and nobody says anything. So they just come be with him. Right. And then it's Job that's the first one to speak. And then from there, they say unhelpful things because <laughs> the first thing that Job says is um, alarming to them. But um, there's a lot to be said for, you know, you might say the wrong thing at some point, but if, if you keep showing up, that'll be what everybody remembers. Yes. Yeah. And that'll and, be the healing part. And I think that grief group is a wonderful example of what works. So all the people in this room have had a loss and they're there to heal and learn and provide community for each other. But they're, but what's happening in the room is we have those heavy moments. And I agree with you. I was feeling tearful at times last night, too. I mean, it's a strongly emotional environment. And then five minutes later, we were loudly laughing at somebody's name of their dog or whatever it might be um, 
because you don't stay in that hard place all the time. It, you're going to come in and out of it. Like when I was used to do um, grief groups with parents and try to help them deal with their children, and often they'd come to me and say, my daughter or son, they're not doing it right. They're, I, don't, I think they're in denial. And these would be little children, maybe middle school children and younger. They'd say, you know, they'll be sad, but you know, then I see them riding their bike and I think they're, they don't get it. They don't understand how sad this is. They don't understand how bad this is. But the truth is they know how to grieve better than we do. They feel the feelings when it comes up, when they remember the person or they think about them or something reminds them of them. And they might cry and curl up in their parents' lap. And then they go out and ride their bike for a while. So they give their brain a break and they go do something fun. And then they come back and feel the feeling again. We would do so much better if we could do that. It's harder for us as adults to manage that. But it's okay to feel sad for one minute and then be joyful for a few minutes too. When you're grieving, you're also surviving a loss. You are a survivor of, of that episode. And we're supposed to keep going and we're supposed to be happy again. But we have to do some work to get there. I think that that's an interesting and, and really helpful point um, in that, uh, that I think God is always pulling us towards a place of well-being, which implies, at least in my theology, a place of joy. We're always being pulled towards a place yeah. of joy. And um, grief can sometimes feel like a deviation from that pull. but. Even when you feel like you're going sideways, there's always that there's something joyful may happen. Right. I think one of the most important prayers and, and, and most lovely prayers in the prayer book has the words in it, shield the joyous. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, one of the things a friend can do in walking with somebody in their grief is be a shield for their joy. Exactly. Um, I know when times that I've been grieving, having a friend say, you don't need to deal with that right now. I'll help you with the chores. Right. Yeah. You don't need to deal with the dishes. I got it. Just some of those things. Like if you see that the family's having a good time. Right. Being the friend that's like, I can help with this. Sure. And you can also be the one that holds their joy or their hope if they can't hold it right in that moment. You can just remind them that it's still a part of them and you know that it will ease as time goes on. But if they can't get to it right now, that's okay. I can hold that for you. And we can walk this thing together. We can be sad together. We can be quiet together. Um, but I'm not going to abandon you. You don't have to be happy and look good for me to want to be around you. You can look all disheveled and sad, and I can still come sit with you. And we can still have a meal together or watch a movie or go through a, a picture album and talk about the person that you lost. Whatever People have some wisdom about what they need. They need permission to access that and then to act on it and do what they feel is going to be helpful to them. I often say, and I think I said it in the group last night, as long as it's not illegal, immoral, unethical, or really going to hurt somebody, go for it. You know, if it, I mean, because people will come up with really unique ways of grieving. So a really poignant piece is um, I had a, a mother who lost a child on hospice and when that usually happens, and the child, of course, was at home and had equipment, we usually try to swoop in and get all that medical stuff out of the way, and then they can just be a family again. And this mother, actually, it was the DME com company, called me and said, she don't want us to take the bed away. She's still got the bed, and we, we got to go pick it up. And so I called her and talked to her about it, and she said, this is the bed my child died in. I can still smell her in this bed. I don't want it to go anywhere. 
So we called the company and we said, we'll pay the tab. Just she'll let us know when she's ready. So she slept in that bed for about three days. And then she called me one day and she said, I'm good. I've, I've done what I need to do. You can take the bed away. But I really needed that. You know, some people think that sounds very perverse or, or morbid, but for her, it was comforting. That's a very small thing that we can do that just kept her from feeling like she's had another physical separation from this person that she loved so much. Well, and it's a powerful thing, too. I think that with modern technology, everything happens faster. And we forget that it was not very long ago, particularly in American history, where the common thing was for people to die at home in their beds. Right. Um, And that that just was. Right. And we've moved we've moved away from it. The we common really thing was have. not to have the hospital bed come into the house. You were in your bed. In your bed, yes. And think about how normalizing that is for the loss. Sometimes people now say, I don't want them in the bed dying because then I won't be able to sleep in the bed after it's happened. I mean, we've really come full circle for that. And I agree. I think the more information you have and the more you can be a part of that process, the less frightening it is, frankly. Um, I mean, I don't know what all our imaginings are about what happens, but generally it's a very peaceful, quiet process. And I think people do better when they know more about that. I think um, coming back to something you said earlier, too, is, is showing up, showing up in the room, showing up um, afterwards, uh, being with. Yes. And I think it's important if we're having this conversation for me just to say that Gen Xers and my and millennials, my friends who are my age, I will say that our generation does a really bad job at going to funerals. Yeah. We need to be better at that. Yeah. And I would encourage people, I mean, texting is fine. Emails are fine, but they need a card in the mailbox. They need somebody on their doorstep. They need, you know, it's fine to say, I'm here. Call me if you need me. When you are deep in grief, you have no idea what you need. You're having a hard time eating breakfast and getting a shower and figuring out what the next thing is. So my advice is usually you could go and sit with them and say, there are 10 people that want to help you. Let's talk about all the things that we might do for you. I'm going to make a list and you tell me what's going to be the most helpful thing. I mean, just helping them you know, navigate that can make a big difference. Yeah. Here's a specific thing I can take off your plate. Exactly. I can come over and mow your, lo- your exactly. yard. It's not a problem. Exactly. Run an errand, whatever. Take the car in for service. Who knows what's going to come up that just feels overwhelming to somebody that's really in deep in grief. One of the deaths that Mitch and I recently, in the last couple of years, um, pastorally attended to, uh, as the person was dying, Lots of people sent cards. There was just an, a flood of cards. And then after that person died, their spouse continued to receive tons of cards in the mail. And they put every single one of them up on the mantle on every flat surface in that living room. That living room was full of cards that people had sent. And it was just that physical reminder every time you walked in there of all of the people that were with you in it. Right. Every time we would walk in, you're just, you could not see a flat surface because it was full of note cards that people had sent. There's something so much more real about that than 
and electronic communication. Absolutely. And those are things, you know, on the anniversary of the death, they may sit down and go through them again. They might do that for years. I mean, that particularly if you can write on the card the person's name that they lost and something you remember about them or how they're important to you. I mean, that becomes a real treasure trove for people down the line, for sure. That's an important piece of it. How to write a card. Not that we're not very well-intentioned, but just putting down, I'm so sorry at your loss of yeah. John. Yeah, John was a cool guy. We really loved him so much. We can tell that you all enjoyed blah, 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 whatever. And yeah, I'll miss him too and miss this, you know, miss hanging out with him or yes. I'll miss our times together. Yes. I'm praying for you. And I would also encourage parents in particular to to let their kids be involved in that. You know, receiving a beautiful little coloring book picture that a child has colored for some, with somebody in mind, it just means so much to people. And it begins to teach children very young. We take care of each other when we're sad. You know, these are the things we can do that'll be helpful that might cheer somebody up. It helps them know that they have some power in making people feel better. Part of helping a child grow, and quite frankly, part of growing as an adult, is the, the not, uh, understanding that we can't shield from human emotion. And I think parents want to, sort of out of our own need to protect, we want to protect our kids from feeling sad, right? from feeling hurt, from feeling loss. And that's a... a, a I get the intention, but that intention is in some ways misguided. Right, because they're going to encounter loss at some point, and it's easier to take it in small bites when you're little and the loss is farther away from you than when it becomes your own tragic event. Yeah, I agree. I think, I mean, I think there are ways to do it thoughtfully. There are some funeral homes that do a little pre-funeral ceremony with children I've known this in the past where there was a very large family with lots of young kids and the funeral director had a program where all the kids without the parents came in and could walk around the coffin and touch things and ask questions about things. And then they all drew pictures or made little gifts to put in the coffin. And I mean, it just took all the mystique out of it and made them so much less fearful. And it was really helpful because the parents who were grieving were having a hard time with that at that moment. So to have, you know, a third party come in and help with that was really, really effective. But I think it's important that we learn at a very young age that what we do to other people, with other people, for other people makes a difference. I mean, we have more power to change things than we ever imagine. And the way we relate to other people and being kind to folks that are sad is a very important lesson. It's one of the most important lessons. Yeah. I mean, it's in the, it's in the Beatitudes. Yes. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing that's more comforting to somebody who's grieving than a child on their lap that they can hug. I mean, the kids don't have to have any special words either, but if they can show up and just love on the people, that makes a huge difference. That is. It reminds me of, um, Right. One of the things that Jesus says over and over, over again in the Gospels is do not be afraid. Yeah. Do not be afraid of the depth of someone's grief. Don't be so afraid that you're not willing to show up. Well, and doesn't he tell us not to be afraid because we will never be alone? 
Mm-hmm. So that's that's our charge is to make sure that the people around us know that they're not alone, that we can walk with them through this grief. They don't have to navigate it by themselves. Yeah. This has been a really great conversation. I think um, I think there's going to be some people who are touched by this. If you had one thing to say to people who are going through grief or people who are supporting someone who is in grief and in the grieving process, what would that be? I think I would want them to know that however awful or sad or frightened you are, it doesn't stay that way. It is really hard at times, but over time, the good days get better, the hard days are fewer. And and I think it's really important to know that on a really bad day, if you can do nothing else, you can remind yourself, this is going to get better because we do survive loss and we do learn from it and grow from it. And we again can feel a lot of joy. So just not to not to be disheartened or give up and to also reach out to people who are loving them and let them come and help you. You don't have to do it alone. Thank you for joining us today. This has been a real blessing. I'm I'm grateful. And I think this is going to be a a good resource for folks. Well, you're most welcome. Thanks. This is a podcast of St. Martin's in the Fields in Columbia, South Carolina. Pay us a visit here on campus, come worship with us on Sundays, or visit us online at smifsc.com. Be sure to like, review, and subscribe to this podcast on your podcast channels, and leave a comment. Let us know if you like this episode, if you like this format. We want to hear from you. Let us go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you.